Welcome to our podcast, Are You There Universe, hosted by me, Jamie Wu, and Sunny Yu, two high-achieving Asian-American women recovering from burnout. Join us as we embark on a journey to reclaim ourselves and inner power, unpack and explore the transformative nature of social change and justice at the level of the spirit, and heal our past traumas by exploring our present. Because when you heal yourself, you heal the world. When you evolve, the world evolves with you. Hey, Jamie. Hey, how's it going? It's been okay. I mean, I know that's been pretty intense with George Floyd and Black Lives Matter, and I was just wondering how you're processing things. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been really tough and and really challenging to um, kind of look inward and also make actionable change outward, um, which is what I think a lot of people in this country need to do. And I may have mentioned that I am a part-time grad student at USC. And this summer, mm-hmm. they've actually been offering these mindfulness classes, wow. which have been a really great way to supplement my own you know, understanding, exploration of mindfulness. And I signed up for two classes, one of them being focused on anxiety and the other being focused on compassion. And Mm -hmm. this is all related to the protests because I entered this first class and it was like when the protests were at its height. And I realized that the teacher didn't even acknowledge what was happening, didn't acknowledge police brutality, (laughs) didn't acknowledge the rampant racism, you know, that's very um, embedded in our systems and how that could cause anxiety, right? Because the Mm -hmm. whole class is about how to use mindfulness to help with your own anxieties. And I, I ended up sending him this private message. It was on Zoom, you know, and I was like, hey, I think it's really important to acknowledge the the violence that's taking place in our streets by police, by systems mm-hmm. of power, and how that contributes to our own anxieties and stresses. And he responded to the class, just first and foremost, this isn't a social justice course. You know, this is about mm-hmm. finding calm and and learning tools for mindfulness. And I was so immediately turned off. I was like, mm-hmm. excuse me? Like, Mm-hmm. To not even address that and then to answer to a student who's like, this is important for our own healing. Well, first of all, how many people of color are in that class? Yeah. <laughs> Very good question. The, the, the teacher himself is, a, is an older white man and the makeup was not, not very diverse at all. And mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, you know, the whole idea that silence is violence is very, very accurate. And you know, a few days later, I took the compassion course, the mindfulness for compassion. And the first thing this female woman teacher did was to acknowledge the pain that so much of our country is going through due to these systems of violence and how mindfulness can be so powerful because Mm -hmm. it allows us to feel compassion for ourselves, which then facilitates feeling compassion for others in a transformative way that's actually meaningful and drives change, you know, in the long run. That stuck with me this whole week because I feel like I, I have so much more clarity on what this podcast should be. 
Mm. You know, it's like, I think I might've come, come in even in the first episode was like, I'm all about self-healing and mm-hmm. you know, empowering the self, et cetera. Honestly, it's really more of a journey towards driving towards social change. And as a social change advocate, I've always been passionate about that. But I think I always saw these as kind of separate, you know, focusing right, on like self. spirituality, the body right, being separate right. from action. Yeah, I totally hear you and feel you in terms of this need to bring together and integrate action-oriented strategies for change and at the same time acknowledging all these other ways of changing that needs to take place that is more internal and Mm -hmm. interior to who we are. And actually that separation between the outer material world and our inner lives has been a frustration of mine. And, you know, I I remember campaigning for two years to extend the statute of limitations for survivors of sexual assault on campus. And afterwards, I just felt so burnt Mm -hmm. out. Because changing structures and policies through that kind of like urgent actions, like we did flyer campaigns, Mm. we like gathered stories from survivors and had marketing campaigns, all those things. It just drained me so physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And it didn't occur to me that this burnout was an effect of separating my activism from my spirituality, the practical realm of politics from the spiritual realm of my body-mind connection. It also makes it more difficult to think about the long-term sustainability of yeah. of the actual change you want to see, mm-hmm. um, which is why I think, you know, in talking about burnout, it's like I'm hearing from so many friends who are like, I'm, I'm you know, calling, I'm sending emails, I'm doing all this stuff, but, and I'm getting so flooded by social media, but how can I make this sustainable? How can I help make sure that the change that we're looking for continues on after the protests die down after, et cetera. And, you know, being an advocate isn't just something you turn off. Being spiritual isn't something you just turn on and off. It's a holistic way of life. It's a way of being. It's a way of approaching the world around you. Yeah, absolutely. And even the call to have difficult conversations Mm. with your close ones and your family members, especially Um, for the Asian American community Mm. and dealing with the anti-Blackness that exists within our community. I would have all these conversations and I was just thinking like, why am I trying so hard to prove that structures of oppression exist and that Mm. these structures can change? And basically I realized that the logic, um, that logic and moral righteousness made social justice into a debate. and that really exhausted and weakened my spirit. It was like my worthiness was being put up for debate each time. Like my experiences, Mm. my education, all this labor that I had put in was so easy to invalidate in these conversations. People were just questioning you and forcing you to almost question yourself. But you know, the, this goes back to your question of, well, what does it mean then to be an ally? If 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 being an ally means having difficult conversations and challenging people's assumptions and 
you know, it's on, it's the burdens on us to do that. Not, Mm -hmm. not the black community to have that burden. Then what does that mean in terms of, you know, allyship? And if, if we're exhausting ourselves, are we actually getting anything done? If they're not, if we're not truly engaging in a meaningful way and we're just kind of like talking past one another. Yeah. Well, first the term ally itself has been put into question and, other terms like co-conspirator and accomplice has been um, suggested Mm. just to recognize how we all have our skin in the game. We Mm. all have a stake in black liberation. Mm -hmm. And I think actually these conversations demonstrate that in the sense that we're being directed to think about more uh, essential, more root issues that we're dealing with. Mm. Um, because I think I rushed into organizing and activism felt just so urgent that I, um, it was easy to bypass my own ignorance and my own issues Mm. and things like that. Like basically you were so focused on trying to like change other people that you didn't even recognize what's your own biases, your Mm -hmm. own things that you need to change from within. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm. The times I was trying to convert or persuade people, I was fighting with my own sense of not being good enough. being worthy of the very liberation that I was trying to fight for. The very fact of having to fight for it kept reinforcing my unworthiness. And I didn't know how to fight for it, how to engage in activism and organizing in a way that didn't Mm. feel like I was constantly putting myself up for debate and recognizing that I grew up never feeling worthy of it. And I had a lot of guilt around the ways I perpetuated injustice and played into and benefited from structures of injustice. Mm. You know, I saw this quote, um, like shame fosters Mm -hmm. short-term action Mm. while inspiration makes space for like sustainable growth and change, right? So if you're shaming people, guilting people into being activists, that's that's not going to help the long run. Mm-hmm. And as I judged others for their shortcomings throughout, you know, showing up as this, you know, enlightened activist, mm. the more I put myself under scrutiny, it was like I was measuring myself up against a very high standard. And my experiences in organizing around campus politics at that time really reflects kind of where activism was, you know, effectiveness and success was often measured by lasting structural and material change. Mm. And when that is the way you measure success, it's always going to feel defeating Mm. (laughs) because it's so hard to change material things. Material things are very slow. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when you keep politics bound to the material world, it doesn't allow for sustainability at the level of the spirit because oftentimes you feel like you're playing a losing game. And so sustainable forms of change and activism requires the acknowledgement of how our activist strategies are only as strong as our strategies for healing and freeing our spirits from internalized oppression. Wait, okay. So say that. Yeah. Say that one more time. So When we have to acknowledge that all this activism that we do towards structural material change, right? Mm -hmm. They are only as strong as the strategies we have for sustaining our inner health, Mm. our inner spirits, 
and mm-hmm. freeing ourselves from the internalized oppressor within. When you talk about internalized imp- oppression, it's it's internalized racism, it's internalized sexism, it's internalized self-hatred, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to understand, learn our past to be able to make sense of what's going on in the present so that we can collectively heal and change the future as a community. Oh my gosh, yeah, that's so powerful. I mean, the way to achieve sustainable forms of activism and social change is to integrate it into your daily life and focus mm-hmm. on liberating yourself from your the, from the oppressor within which is fundamentally about achieving body mind coherence and you know one of the biggest insights i had after leaving my toxic relationship was this very physical visceral realization that i rarely experience safety without violence and, you know, people think about violence in terms of blood and bruises, but I'm talking about subtle forms of violence, mm-hmm. like de- self-defeating thoughts, states of denial, minimizing my pain for the sake of another person's comfort. Mm. And all of these habits are habits that I built throughout my lifetime prior to entering this relationship. And I stayed in this relationship for a long time. and. The only way I can understand that is because the violence became so comfortable that it felt safe. Mm. And because because of its familiarity, this is what white supremacy is to me. It's learning to equate safety with being comfortable with violence. Oh, gosh, this this whole thing about um, the subtle forms of violence, the self-defeating thoughts, the kind of storytelling of your mind, which is something I would definitely want to talk about in a future Mm -hmm. episode of, you know, the things that you keep telling yourself over and over again that denigrate you, that harm you, you know, we, we, we almost become numb to it. And it's, it's like, okay, this is our new reality. Well, I guess that's, that's just the way the world works. And that's kind of so like, so indicative of what's happening with Trump, right? It's like Mm. all of the chaos, all of the horrible and horrific things that he's done, we become numb to it. We become numb to police violence, become numb to just grosser forms of violence. And then that means that we we require these more horrific forms of violence to take action. Here's the kicker. The kicker is that the separation between mind and body means that we experience power when we are able to numb our bodies. To hmm. violence. Does that make sense? Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> tell me, tell me. Yeah. So, what I'm saying is that it can be difficult to recognize that numbing yourself is a problem. Okay. Because numbing yourself allows you to experience control. Mm, yeah. Safety because it's familiar. Right. It's like a form of denial, essentially. Yeah, yeah. So actually numbness is very encouraged in our culture. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's kind of the only way we know how to experience any semblance of control and quote unquote power over our realities. Mm. And again, emphasis on power over our realities. Right. In this current landscape. I think that makes a lot of sense. I understand that numbness, you know, serves as kind of power over the sense of control, but it's, it's kind of a false sense of control. But how does that relate to 
the body mind connection? I mean, like really, I mean, what, how would you even define what the body mind coherence is? Mm -hmm. Body mind coherence for me is developing the ability and sensitivity to notice your feelings the moment they arise. Feelings of fear, insecurity, triggers. Mm. Anytime you feel something, just being able to notice it and being able to deal with it right away without becoming the feeling, without reacting from the feeling. And this means that you're able to communicate in a very clear and transparent way. So if when you're having difficult conversations with someone, just having the ability to say, you know, I really appreciate the conversation that we're having and, I, and I'm feeling defensive and I realize mm. that this is irrational, but I need to deal with this because unless I deal with this feeling, I can't go on with this conversation. So what does that mean then to not have the body mind connection like what's an example of someone who is very fragmented yeah so if you don't have body mind coherence it means that you are guarded against your own feelings like what is the cause of defensiveness it means that you feel threatened in some way so mm -hmm. there's fear and when you are when you stay defensive it means that there's a there is an inability or there's too much fear to address a pain or a more difficult feeling. Mm -hmm. And so you are not allowing yourself to feel. Mm -hmm. And so even that very idea that you can manipulate someone through words and logic comes from this separating your mind and body. And so when that takes place, when you're in that separation, that's when you lead to burnout. That's when you lead to the sense of lack of control, this mm -hmm. feeling that you are not valued. It's kind of actually exactly what you were saying in the beginning of this episode, right? That you felt like you had to debate mm -hmm. and prove your worthiness. It all, you know, our conversation right now is actually very, it's just very eye-opening because in my own mindfulness practices, it was often about noticing right? That's what being mindful is. It's noticing how you're feeling. Notice being able to say it out loud. Like mm -hmm. right now I feel this certain way. And, and throughout your day, being able to notice what you're feeling and how it affects your body, how it makes your heart rate increase or how mm -hmm. it makes your stomach cramp, you know, but I never really understood it in terms of this body mind connection. So I think that's a very, it's very informative in looking at it in a holistic way and that's even like we were talking about earlier about about approaching social justice in a holistic way right integrating the inner and the outer right right yeah. as opposed to like you know using a, a form of denial which in a sense is also numbness right yeah and yeah. actually mm -hmm. this reminds me of when um of our common ground experiences, mm, which was yeah. like a diversity retreat that Jamie and I attended and facilitated for. Mm -hmm. Because one of the main things that comes out of that retreat is don't intellectualize your feelings. Mm -hmm. So 
the reason why you don't intellectualize your feelings is because it creates greater separation between your mind and your body. Mm. Right. You're like interrogating why you feel a certain way instead of just admitting that you feel that Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. allowing that feeling to just be there and be curious about it and being like, you know, I feel threatened. I feel fear. I realize why and I realize it's not rational, but I need to sit with this feeling. I can allow myself to feel this. Mm -hmm. That's so important. That is the way to getting more sensitive and rewiring the mind-body. Right. And we talked about this a little bit in our first episode about reimagining the world. But mm-hmm. before we can really reimagine the world, we have to essentially re- reimagine ourselves, re-engineer ourselves, our desires, our beliefs. And by having that, oh, it's all coming to me now. By having that connection, by being able to name your feelings mm-hmm. and how that affects your body, that, that's how you can reassess what brings you joy, mm-hmm. what, what causes fear, what and how you can tolerate in terms of pain and violence and sensitivity and comfort. I feel like I just had a light bulb moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's it's you're totally right because it's realizing that real power is actually being sensitive. Right. Being so sensitive that mm-hmm. you catch the feelings early on and you are able to name it, you're able to understand it, you're able to sit with it. And you can be compassionate towards yourself. Mm-hmm. And it is a very challenging process mm-hmm. because it means stepping into a version of yourself that is so unfamiliar to you that it is actually quite scary. Mm. So it's being able to feel, allow yourself to feel your feelings all the time. And I call this a spiritual awakening. It's a birthright, a rite of passage, not some spontaneous and miraculous event. And it is actually something we're all being called to undergo at this moment. And it begins with the body and allowing your body to feel. Mm -hmm. Because feelings are how your body communicates with your conscious, logical mind. It heals the separation this way. It's the glue between the mind and the body. And gaining mastery over your feelings, the ability to not only feel, but name and communicate them, gives you the ability to transform the overwhelming pain that has accumulated within you from years of learning to survive in this game of life Mm -hmm. and actually give you the space and permission to let yourself become more sensitive. So instead of being like, we need grosser forms of violence to incite us to action, we become more sensitive to more subtler forms of violence so that we are actually incited to action on a daily basis. So that, you know, like someone doesn't have to get killed for us to realize that there is a problem. And The other thing to note here too is that we're also caught in the habit of thinking that when we critique problematic beliefs or toxic beliefs or ideas, that that's enough to liberate ourselves. Like, Mm. you know, that it's like this logic, the more you know about a problem, the more you'll know how to solve it. Mm. Like you gain mastery over the problem 
and then the solution will arise from that. Mm. And mm. I'm here to tell you that's not true. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> Knowing more of the problem doesn't necessarily help you solve the problem. Just becoming super educated. That doesn't mean that you, sh- you shouldn't become super educated about the problem, but you can't mm-hmm. let that... Be the um, only strategy. Right. Be the only strategy because, you know, when we only educate ourselves about the problem, we're limiting ourselves in terms of finding a solution. And, you know, it's all now really taking shape for me in my head because part of solving the problem is reimagining what is possible and reimagining ourselves and the world and our relationship to it. This is a really difficult topic because it's coming it's coming to terms with and confronting your own inner demons so to speak that were yeah that you know were perhaps there not for any fault of your own but because of the history and generations mm-hmm. of violence mm-hmm. that you are born into you know mm-hmm. and you know people people say you're not born racist, you're not born sexist, but you're born into a world that is racist. Mm-hmm. You're born into a world and a system that is sexist. So mm-hmm. white supremacy affects us all. That white when we think about white supremacy, let's bring up that image of the cis het uh dominant white man, right? Mm-hmm. He lives within us. Every one of us. Of course he does. Mm-hmm. That's how we've learned to survive in this world. Mm-hmm. And we defend him because he is within us. And so when we talk about rewiring our mind and body, when we talk about reimagining what's possible, that's reimagining what that voice is inside of us, right? Mm-hmm. So first it's like acknowledging that that even exists but then yeah. actively reworking the mind and body to essentially free ourselves from that, right? You know, I'm still doing the mindfulness for um, compassion. And I think this is also continues on with what Deepak Chopra said. And that's, that's compassion is abundant. It's unlimited. We can tap into that at any time as long as we are being intentional and actually actively actively cultivating that you know because it's it's always there yeah how would you define compassion i feel like it is a warmth mm-hmm. and a sense of understanding and acceptance mm-hmm. in a very non-judgmental way yeah, the non-judgment feels important. Yeah. Yeah, and and you, you know, you brought up this point earlier about this kind of moral righteousness we have when we have these conversations with other people. Mm-hmm. And there is a sense of judgment. There is a sense of I'm right, you're wrong, and mm-hmm. the whole point of this conversation is for me to prove that to you. Mm-hmm. You know, when that doesn't really get us anywhere again it's it's the whole you know shaming people into into acting as opposed to inspiring them and feeling compassion and spreading that compassion to others which will incite more growth in the long term yeah what a you know actually you're letting me elaborate on this idea of spiritual awakening because 
when you start focusing on really repairing and healing that body-mind separation, when you meditate and you really connect to the sensation, feeling the sensations in your body and what those sensations are communicating to you, you really are creating room for change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you really are because, because you're creating a different reality just by doing that practice. That's how radical it is. And that's how numb we have become to these small, small actions mm-hmm. that are in and of themselves so revolutionary. Mm. Just sitting and paying attention to your breath, allowing yourself to feel the sensations of the thoughts that you have. Mm-hmm. And then one day, waking up and being like, I cannot endure self defeating thoughts anymore. Mm-hmm. It feels so terrible. It feels, it cuts me so deep now that I'm <laughs> really, really feeling it. And allowing myself to feel the impact of that, something's got to change (laughs) on that cellular level, starting Mm -hmm. with the very internal dialogue you have with yourself. And, you know, the power of mindfulness philosophy and practice is that it actually makes changing and healing easier and fun. Because you're not so attached to the comforts of familiarity or your ego, and you can progress and evolve in the ways you've always wanted. And through this practice, your faith grows that change is good. Hmm. Like the experience that I have or have had through years of practicing meditation is real power. The power to change my inner monologue. Hmm. Yeah. For me, that felt like a kind of freedom I had never felt in my life before. Hmm. And that is what's so fun about it, mm-hmm. you know? And it makes feeling unsafe, feeling those really difficult feelings. They, it turns the, those moments of pain into moments of opportunity mm. to further transform and further be surprised at what can enter your life when you release those thoughts and demands and judgments about yourself. To change that inner dialogue, it's like now you are, you are developing these new frameworks for how to change dialogue with others, for how to change structures, not only within, but external to us. Mm -hmm. And and that's something I so realized in that moment in that mindfulness class of like social justice is so intricately tied to Mm -hmm. mindfulness, so intricately tied to self-healing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You're actually bringing up such an important point because um, there's this researcher Thomas Hubble who who does research on transgenerational trauma and mm-hmm. his whole thing is about how our nervous systems are not independent mm-hmm. meaning that our abilities to regulate our own feelings right mm-hmm. and be relaxed and calm and 
hold space for difficult feelings within ourselves allows us to hold space for difficult feelings for other people. You can actually help someone else regulate their nervous system Mm -hmm. because actually our nervous systems, they interact with one another. So that's his main insight. Our bodies on a cellular level respond to another person's nervous system. So that's how a mother can come to a crying baby and comfort the crying baby because the child is inherently affected by the mother's um, calm nervous system. Mm -hmm. That is why this work is so important Mm -hmm. because it really allows somebody else to transform. When you transform yourself, you create space for other people to transform. I think that's a perfect segue into our affirmation. Mm-hmm. And so, Sanhei, would you, would you grace us with our affirmation of the week? Yeah. Thank you so much, Jamie. <laughs> I, I just want to note that um, I feel a lot of gratitude for you for making this space you really held space for me in this conversation today. And I want to acknowledge that as well. Thank you. Just getting comfortable wherever you are and just noting whatever sensations that are in your body. And when you inhale, just noting, I know I am inhaling. And as you exhale, noting, I know I am exhaling. Allow myself to feel my fear of change. I embrace the inevitability of change. I am ready to heal and transform. What a powerful discussion. We unpacked a lot today. This was a really important foundational conversation to have in terms of internalized oppression. Um, We didn't dive too deep into the racial dynamics that are currently at play. And so I'm, I'm really excited to dive into that in future episodes. Well, thank you so much everyone for tuning in. Um, we will we'll see you next week with your friends yes for sure (laughs) thanks so much guys talk to you all soon thank you for joining us on are you there universe where we get to reimagine a new world together we're so grateful to you and we hope you can join us again next time to dive deeper into the intersections between social justice and spirituality If you're curious about our other projects and extensions of this work, connect with us. We'd love to have you join our community on Instagram at areyouthere.universe. You can also find me, Sunny, at sunny underscore mystic. And find Jamie on her website, www.jamiewu.com.